God bless you once again. Welcome this evening to our midweek service. We pray that you are sensing the presence of the Lord tonight. And now we prepare to give our attention to the word of the Lord. As Pastor Subash is coming, he is sharing his message. Coming out of the desert. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Welcome once again. Precious ones that are here particularly and in the last couple of weeks people are coming back and we just want to thank God for them and for those dear ones that are watching we're so glad you did and welcome once again I'm going to ask you to share this service it's a midweek service it's a Bible study and let me remind you the Bible Institute has already began but you not too late to register go into our website and get all the details you're going to find some excellent studies of these five courses for the fall semester let me remind you again, it's a great opportunity. What I want to do this uh, evening is basically go into the second part of coming out of the desert or the wilderness. Let me have a word of prayer. Father, be with your people, particularly that have come here and those that are watching. No matter what time, what day as they watch, may you reach out to them. May you touch them. May you be with them. There are people going through pain not only physically in the heart, but deep burden. Others, oh God, are distressed and depressed because of all that's happened. We pray that Jesus Christ bring, bring deliverance because he is the burden bearer and the breaker of every chain. And together, Lord, people that are here and those that are watching, we join in giving you, Abba Father, glory and honor and praise. It's all yours, the power, the dominion, the kingdom, all glory, all honor in Yeshua Masih, our Lord, our Savior. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Glory be to God. We began to do about the uh, desert or the wilderness. Let me just say at the onset, sometimes the word is synonymous uh, whether it's the wilderness or desert and yet you find in the bible specifically mentions uh, wilderness 171 times uh, in the old testament and then new testament uh, and the word desert is mentioned uh, specifically 13 times and then in the old testament you're going to find uh, again the word desert is uh, found again in um, uh, the New Testament particularly, uh, 32 times, and in the New Testament, the desert is found basically uh, 13 times. So whether you use the wilderness or desert, it basically would amount to the same, unless there are specific areas, solitary, desolate, these are all places that we talk and think about. One of the things you find, it's a very lonely place. In fact, this is the cry of uh, Jeremiah. He said, Lord, I have been taken by your hand to be alone. He was a person in the desert. You can hear the cry of Job, and particularly when he has gone through his own desert. And so wilderness may not necessarily be literally what you talk about, Sahara, or all the way to the Antarctic. No, it can be in a place where it is so dry, where you're experiencing a sense of dryness, a shallowness, uh, a sense of for, uh, forlongings and uh, depression and distress. And God's people have gone through that. In fact, Elijah went through, literally had to run into the desert after having a great victory, but he was also depressed and distressed. And so you find it's like uh, 
two together in the natural and, and in the spiritual. Job was certainly someone like that. So many a times we tend to think that it has to be a dry place, like a place where there's no one. Sometimes you can be right in the midst of people and still be in the wilderness. We have gone through and come through, I believe, through a very difficult time in pandemic, and many people have gone through hardship and pain. And I know that some of the folks have just... Uh, lost someone, lost their job, lost money, and then in so many varied ways, it's a wilderness. And so I want to say this, especially particularly in this time, coming out of the wilderness becomes very important. And it is so because the Lord put into my heart, I changed the, um, the, what we were doing, the teaching lessons, and moved into the time I brought in the Bible teachers, instructors from the Bible Institute, and brought in this because I felt that it reaches out not only to those that are here and those that are watching, so many people that would be catching on and watching much, much later, maybe years from now. It could be, no matter what we do, I talked about the natural, 80, 20, 80 percent of the time, whether the earth or other things, literally a desert is a place where that's basically what the earth is. Uh, 20 percent is habitable. And when we look at that, even that 20 percent has a lot of problems. And so in natural life to 80 percent of the time, we are swimming, swing, swinging from one end to the other. Either we're going out or coming in out of a wilderness, uh, so to speak, in our spiritual as well as in our emotional and physical. We'll never be out of this until Christ comes, until we come to that place where there's no more the Adamic sin or the nature of fall, fallenness that has happened uh, because of the human frailty and because of the sin of our first fathers and mothers. I want to just say this. One of the things you find is even... Uh, uh, I think in chapter 19, 1 Kings 19 and verse 10, Elijah cried out and said, I'm just about the only person left because he just felt he's about. So there's a sense in which I'm alone, nobody else. If you look at the writings of these great uh, people in the Bible, you always find that it has been a very difficult time. In fact, a lot of the psalm that uh, this great psalmist David talked about, it is literally about how he has been lonely. In fact, he talks about, in a hyperbole, he's made his bed uh, like a pool of tears. Uh, so you can understand how uh, the terrible feeling is. And yet, I want you to know, he had never given up hope like Paul did. You know, when you turn to Galatians, I believe chapter 1, verse 10 or 11, he talks about being in the deserts of Arabia, and uh, in particularly, he's talk, talking about it is where he got the revelation, and uh, um, hmm, maybe it's um, earlier to that, which case it is, it's something in Galatians you write in the first chapter. The same you find, whether it is Job or whether it is David, whether it is Jeremiah or whether it was Moses or whether it was Joshua, Everyone went through a literal desert wilderness, including our Lord Jesus Christ. We began talking about how lonely it is. In fact, the desert welcomes you. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 1, it wants to embrace you. And there are times when we realize that we go into the wilderness because of our own failures, like Moses in the beginning did, and then we also are led into the wilderness like the Lord Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. 
John the Baptist actually talks about in Luke chapter 1 and verse 80 a remarkable way in which his ministry begins, but it goes on to say the child grew and waxed strong and was in the wilderness or desert in the day of his showing, and that's so important. And then you find his ministry begins in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, and out of that comes a powerful, tremendous ministry. In those days came John the Baptist preaching out of the wilderness of Judea. We talked about our Lord Jesus Christ, and what is so important is it begins with a tremendous affirmation. It begins with a solemn declaration. None other than God the Father talking about Jesus Christ, uh, his precious Son, our Lord and our Savior. In fact, if you were to uh, turn to Luke chapter 3 and verse 22, you find this amazing, wonderful affirmation that is proclaimed, this is my beloved Son, and he goes on to say, in thee I am well pleased. That being said, that the Father is well pleased with the Lord Jesus, and the Father is well pleased with you, why would then the Father love in chapter 4 of Luke in verse 1, driven, pressed, pushed. Let me say this, Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit returned from Jordan and he was, uh, some of the biblical versions says pushed, others says he was led. The other basically talks about how he was basically driven into the wilderness. All of this, whether it's led or driven or pushed, simply tells you there is something very important. Not that the Father did not. In fact, the affirmation is, this is my beloved Son. And then this becomes a very important point because it is a training. Very important. A lesson that is cannot be replaced by theoretical or by Howard. It comes from likes experience in the desert. That is what happened in Moses. That's what happened to Joshua. That's what happened to Jacob wrestling at Jabok. All of these are important studies for us in the school of what would be teachings, lessons learned in the desert or in the wilderness. What is so remarkable, I talked about, we don't need to go through the passage in Luke chapter 4, 40 to 42, Jesus basically ministering, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 all the way to 16, you find again he's ministering, but he goes out to the wilderness uh, because he's led there by himself to spend time in solitude, in prayer. And again, Jesus, our Lord, is talking and telling us in um, Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, come apart and go to the desert. And so he's inviting us. So it's a lonely place. It's sometimes a miserable place. Sometimes it is a very difficult place. Nevertheless, we find that it is a moment that we get rid. God begins to shape us, to move us, and to take away the drawers, to cut off things we don't need and put in things. We won't be able to hear him with all of the distraction that takes place in the world. We won't be able to concentrate. But it is man to man, God with man, literally training and speaking and leading uh, the child to the desert. So I would think... No matter what people say, yes, it, it is a result of man, this pandemic, and this foolishness and sin, but however, God allowed it for many reasons, so teach us to trust him. There's a lot of showmanship on the pulpit, a lot of things that were pleasurable, 
exciting. It is the modern man. We watered down the gospel, made it like seeker-friendly, so everybody be attracted. All the lights, the glittering, the, all the shouting, the, um, the way in which we presented, just like a nightclub, or like the Madison Avenue style. And apart from all of this, God said, enough of it. Shut it down. You don't see much of that now. But when we come back, we have to be quite careful. Don't have to ape the world or the Hollywood or even what would be the Madison Square Garden style. Let's go back to the basic. Let's go back to the Bible and let us remember the couple of W's that are important. Particularly mentions about the 12 that is so important to us. Number one is the worship. And that is not something to please people or something to show off. It's purely and simply, it is not entertainment, it is purely unto God. Nothing to do about man. And it's nothing to do with pleasure, it's simply to God. And what we do in a private comes out in a collective, corporate way, giving him the best that we can with music and everything. It is truly and purely for the Lord. And we join in expressing. Number two, W is the word. And that's very important. I talked about the warmth. I talked about the warfare. But then there is what we call the weaning. And again, discipleship, the Bible Institute. All of these are very important. There are other things in the W. But I want you to understand the basic thing is unto God and God reaching out unto us so it is like the priest that gives the finest to God and then hearing from God and we minister to one another that being said there are many other things but the first will always be first we talked also about Moses uh, I talked to you the last time about Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 15, how he tried to short-circumvent the call of God by killing an Egyptian, and he had to run f uh, away from Egypt and from Pharaoh, no matter how big a man he was. That is basically cutting short something. You're called, but don't go without God opening the door. As a result of his own uh, man-made thing, he had to run off into the desert. But that was, you might say, human error. But God uses human error, no matter what, to be able to turn things around. All things, whether good or bad, for those who love God and those who understand the purpose of God, there is the forming together, like you would do with a cake or like you would do with the food, the, good, the salt and the sweet, everything put together is voila, that is what you find, what a taste. And yet you have such mixtures in these uh, elements. But what I want you to understand is, when you take the mistakes even of David, that was terrible, trying to count people and other things, which she felt, maybe it's my own power, my own ingenuity and my army the fighting forces and God said stop it you remember you were alone out there in the desert and I was there in the wilderness you remember when nobody else was there you said I was even when my father and mother forsook me the Lord what happened you were nothing and now you feel you accomplished all this it was a terrible mistake the consequences were was very heavy but in the midst of that mistake he comes to the field of Jebusite and recognizes as he seeks God's forgiveness, God opens the beautiful thing called the temple, and that becomes the place. What a marvelous way. So man, no matter what you have gone through, whether you have done a mistake or not, Moses did a terrible situation. 
But because he repented, because he humbled himself, God turned around, and those 40 years in the wilderness have become the training ground, the crucible of fire by which this man turned out to be a mighty man of God. 40 years in Egypt, he was trained to be a powerful prince of Egypt. Amounts to nothing in the kingdom of God with all those degrees, with all of these great authority. But God had used that running away to Egypt for 40 years, not to become a prince of the world, but to be a prophet and a prince with God. What a difference. This man, one man hearing from God, he learned the first thing in the desert, beginning in Exodus chapter 3, listen to the voice of God. The still small voice, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. He never heard something like this, just like young Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, what an interesting. But this man, like Samuel, began to hear and began to have this intimate. You would never have got it in Egypt. You would never have got it as a commander-in-chief. You would never get it anywhere except in the wilderness. And that was the training ground by which a prophet was made. A prince in heaven's standard for eternity is made. That becomes a powerful training ground. What I want you to understand is then begins what would be a powerful aspect of this training. Remember when God appeared to him, we don't need to go to chapter 3, but he said, who am I? I don't have an identity. He had forgotten the great craft, the great heritage. Remember this, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 22, he was equipped and studied in the greatest university, in the wisdom of Egypt, and was mighty in word and in deed. Forty years taking care of the sheep. He had forgotten the fluency. He forgotten the wisdom of the world. And all he could do was stammer. He really had no fluency. I find it amazing that sometimes people in the pulpit almost act like they were in the nightclub. What do you call them, those guys who do the music? Making exciting people, and you find the same thing transferred in the pulpit. There was showmanship out there, and they're using the gifts of God as a showmanship. They are the snake oil sellers today, selling the gift for a money. They use the gifts of God, and the way they do is all of that theatristics and gymnastic and the up and down, the showy clothes, and almost you feel, oh my God. And they are penny-pinching literally every aspect, not preaching, beginning one passage, and then about their desperate need, and using through many ways to get people to give. You find that in the olden days when they want to charm you and sell you even snake oil, and it's the cure for everything. You might end up dying, but who cares? You got the money. Let me just remind you one thing about this man was he had lost the fluency. It was not about this Moses and this wisdom of Egypt that he learned. Or the, the fluency of the language got to care of that. But he was able to talk like no one else. As a man, the Bible says, to God face to face, to the point that mountaintop of wilderness became the pivotal point where he was able to talk to God. And his desire, show me your glory. 
And God said, I will excuse me. No man had seen God at any time except what we hear from the Lord Jesus bringing the very kingdom of God in our heart. And yet God showed, hit him in the cliff of the rock and he passed by calling his name and then saying, merciful and mighty. What an honor. How did he do it? Not the academy, not the Hollywood, not the wisdom of the world or Egypt. Simply the training that he got in the wilderness on his knees before the almighty God. There's no shortcut. What I want you to realize is he said, who am I? And God begins to show him who he is. And then he said, I don't have the fluency. God says, who's made the tongue? It doesn't bother me, God is saying. I learned many years ago that the first thing they ask when they want a preacher is how good a person is with pulpit, pulpiteering. Because if you do not have a great experience of pulpiteering, they say you're a poor pastor. You can't really communicate. So you have to be a personality like Hollywood star. Otherwise, you've got to paint yourself. Or you've got to speak and male eloquency. What is God looking for? He doesn't need any of that. He could use all of that, but he doesn't need that. He just needs you to be intimate with him and hear him and then speak to his people what he has spoken to from your heart, the word of God. And this is very important. So in chapter 4 and verse 2 of the book of Exodus, Moses, what's in your hand? Nothing. One of the words, just a rod. And God says, that's all I need. You have lost everything. But it could be a rod in your hand through this wilderness experience. That's enough. You may just have a few penny or a dollar. That's enough. Little with God is more than the whole universe is worth. Can you say amen? This becomes one of the greatest aspects of this man being used of God. Powerful, isn't it? When you look at the children of Israel, ah, what can you say about them? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, Paul is writing about what took place, but with many of them talking about the children of Israel, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Was that God's plan? No. God wanted to train them the way he did with Moses, the way he did with David. These people, instead of becoming a prince with God, became pouting, constant griping, complaining, gossiping, angry, and constant. And they always remained children of Israel, childish. What I want you to understand, the tragedy with the God reached out to them, literally, like Moses, 40 years, think about it, through their own mistake, like Moses made a mistake, God took what, have, what would have been at 30, 11 days, maximum 30-day walk, 13-day walk to Barnish Karda, basically into the promised land, made them walk for 40 years of training like he did with Moses. I'm going to tell you the difference that you find that the reaction to the training and how you react to God. Yeah, there is something you need to understand, very important. You have a personal problem with God. Take it to him in prayer. Never tell someone that is gossiping. 
and God is not well pleased. That is called murmuring. Did you hear what I said? It could be very difficult. You may not know the lesson. The best you can say, I don't know what's going on, but he knows the way I take, and he knows all things. But you do have a problem, for goodness sake. Tell him your problem. Lock the door. Lock the windows. Lord, I don't understand. He's never angry. You're talking to him. Why do I say that? Read the book of Psalms. Let me remind you, it's not ungratefulness. It's a private, personal prayer. It's nobody's business. It's between one who loved God and one who, the Bible says, was a man after God, so not speaking to God. But it so pleased the Holy Spirit that this private letter, guarded private diary of David, between him and a conversation with God, is basically open to the public. Why? So that we can understand the heart of this man. He never grumbled. He never gossiped about God. He went directly to God. What's going on, God? And I'm paraphrasing from chapter 73. Look at me, Lord. I'm being faithful. Look at these fat cats. They cut the corners. They slice people. They make money in the wrong way. They are rich. What's happening with me? What are you doing? And then I went to your house. Voila. My eyes opened. I thank you, God, because you love me. I didn't know that. So when you read this private conversation of a man in a desert in the wilderness, some of the greatest songs, lyrics, music set, all of this comes out of the wilderness of a man. I will show you if I have towards the end. What is his response? And what was the response of the children of Israel? Constantly griping. Look at the wow, marvelous way that God led them. Uh, you find that in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 15. Providentially provided them the food of the angels. And when the children saw it, they said to one another, It is manna, for they did not know what it was. And then in the psalmist it says, They hated the food that God gave them. Excuse me? They said to, God, to Moses, Why have you brought us to this desert? It's a wilderness. Nothing grows here. No, God didn't want them to make anything grow. They are moving on. I want you to learn one very important lesson. You are just passing through. Never park your car a permanent. Never get and say, this is it. It's just a train station. You are moving on, on the way to your destination. Don't camp there. God is giving them an important lesson. So they're complaining, we don't get anything. Yeah, keep moving. You're passing through. Life is a strange walk, a pilgrim's way through the wilderness of life. Never one experience the same. One day in the wilderness, you are in a hot sunshine. The next day, it would be fair weather. The next day, it is foul weather. And another day, it's pouring cats and dogs. And then, there is nothing at all. Every day is a new experience. Why? God is preparing us. 
I want you to understand God has prepared you and preparing you from all that happened. It was not an accident. God used even the folly and the mistake and the frailty and the sinfulness of fallen man. And yet because he loves you, he's taken you to the wilderness. He did to the best of his people. You tell me one. I will tell you even his beloved son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He learned the things he experienced. Why would he? He's the son of God. He's wisdom personified that he could be an example. Why would he have to be baptized? And John himself says, I'm not worthy. Jesus says, let it be so I would be an example of righteousness. And if he, the son of God, could do it, we should, even though it's going to be very difficult. It's hard, it's difficult, but look at the amazing aspect of his moving. You know, when you turn to Exodus chapter 15, you're going to find that it is a, a remarkable way they are now getting into verse 23. It is rather a strange place. It says here, when they came to Mara, bitter water, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter, and therefore the name of it was called Mara. It's not just simply the Mara. The children of Israel were hyper bitter more than the water. Like Elijah, who put the wood, Elijah put the wood, the cross is the place where bitterness turns into joyfulness. And that's exactly what they turn the water into sweet. That's what Naomi said in her experience with life. She'd seen people die in her family. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. But then towards the end, it is better and the best. People are upholding her and speaking of the being honorable mother of Israel. Oh, thank God for a root that is added into her life. Of all things, a Moabitess, can you believe God can do wonders? What, I'm, what do you mean? Never forget this. Wonders never ceases. Kim, just think about it. The prophet of God, Elijah, had to go into a desert too. But that is because he proclaimed that because of the word of God. But God fed him of all things a raven. Raven never feeds anybody. It takes somebody else's food to feed itself. This is an experience. It's like a crow flying backward. It is feeding. But forget about feeding the great prophet. Me, if a crow brings me food, it's a miracle. I refuse to touch it. But when I do, God has humbled me. Because who wants to take food that a crow brings? There is no second class or third class. Everything that God brings into your life is first class. Learn. It's a very important experience in life. Never forget it. God can do things that is unbelievable. <clears throat> Moabitess, she becomes the mother, the grandmother, great-grandmother. <clears throat> of a man called David, the greatest king of all. <coughs> the children of Israel had a lot of problems. When you go to chapter 17, you're going to find an unusual aspect of them. Let's just turn to 15. We said 23. 
And now look at the experience. It takes a sudden turn. Isn't that life in verse 27? <coughs> Suddenly look at it, it says, they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palms, and they encamped there. And that is called an oasis, right there in the desert. But there is no oasis permanently in your life. You might say, oh, that's it. I'm the king of the hill. Never forget, the slope is even more bad when you hit the rock bottom. The higher you go, the greater the temptation, the greater the fall. Be careful. This is not a permanent oasis because when you turn to chapter, the next chapter 16, look at these children of Israel. They took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of Israel came unto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And when you go on to verse 2, you find the whole congregation of Israel murmured, didn't they just come out as a beautiful place? You simply can't please some people who have ingratitude. You can never do that. Next, in verse 2, 3 goes on to say, Children of Israel said, would to God that we have died. Would to God. Never say that. You see, there are certain words. Take it out of your vocabulary. Would to God that I die if I told a lie. Don't say that. Ever say that. No, say, you know what? You will never grow to the children. You'll never be smart. What you're doing is a lousy prophet. You know, from the very beginning, one of the most important lessons is God made man. Nobody special. They're all equal, whether it's white, brown, or... And yet when you turn to one place in chapter 9 of the book of Genesis, oh, didn't this... That, that this person was cursed. Excuse me? So you form a doctrine on someone being cursed? By who? A drunken Noah. That is not God. A drunken Noah cursed his own grandson. And based on that, you see, the folks from Ethiopia are basically lower. Did you know some of the greatest fighters came from there? But we seem to think we are noble. If you go to certain places in the Arab world, first class is if you're a Muslim. Go down to Christian places, first class. Hindus, you have caste system. Who said so? God made everyone equal. And so it doesn't matter. God is teaching a very important lesson. Accept and embrace the things that are there in your life. Moabitess is the salvation. She's a wonderful lady. Don't judge her by her background. In fact, noble people have come out. All this to say, a very important lesson we learn. Here the children of Israel, when you come to chapter 16, they are basically murmuring. Let's just come to chapter 17, and it's the same thing. Verses 1, verses 1 to 2. Look at what it says here. And all the congregation of Israel journeyed up to the wilderness after their journey and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. How many times do we face that? Our expectations are so high, we almost think. You know, I believe, I'll be talking about prosperity, I believe in that. But not in the way that people are talking about day in and day out. They got it out of whack. Jesus is the center of everything. When you take healing out, of, of the, what the Bible talks about, 
you ran after a chicken bone thinking you got the whole chicken. You just got a piece of it and made a god of it. When you look at this, they had no, and their expectation is so God has to provide. He's like a genie who I rub this Aladdin's lamp and boom, there's someone saying, hey, master, what can I do for you? Yehovah, God, doesn't be at anybody's bidding. We do his bidding. He is not a waiter. We wait upon him. We're waiters. He's supreme. The last I heard was he's still on the throne, and the latest I heard, he's still on the throne, and long after I'm dead and gone, he's still on the throne, and long after the world has come to end, he's still the sovereign God, and we bow down to him. Angels, archangels, and all of the wonderful celestial glory, they worship, they adore, he stands supreme. They did not want get what they wanted. So in verse 2, it goes on to say, Wherefore the congregation chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. You know, they're so angry. And every time that does that, didn't they learn the experience that God removed the hedge and snakes for all these years? Snake did not bite them, and now they're bitten. And what do you think? Look on the serpent. Just look. If you don't just drag your child and just look, look to the Lamb of God. You might have a lot of things, argument, oh, it's not possible. I'm talking from a Jewish scripture. These Hebrews looked up and they were healed and they were saved. That is still the unchanging principles of God. But what you find here is unbelievable. They had just taken away in chapter 17. If they didn't learn that lesson in their journey, Look what it says in verse 18. Then came the Amalekites, verse 8, chapter 17 and verse 8. Then came the Amalekites and fought with, how did they come? Where did they come from? They came from the hindermost and bang, bang, bang. How did it begin? Griping, complaining, then came the Amalekites. They attacked them from the back. They attacked the weakest. Who brought this about? Their reaction in not getting what they wanted. Let me just tell you a mistake in the wilderness they did. They took their anger on Moses. Sometimes people are afraid to talk about the king, so they talk about the queen. People are afraid to talk about God, they will talk about God's servant. But it's not about God's servant, it's about God, roundabout way. And God said, okay, let me teach you a very important lesson. They should have gone to God and said, God, I don't know what's going on. You know, there's a tremendous passage in Psalm 103, and I don't know if it's verse 7. He showed, God showed what would be the ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. Waste to Moses, they saw all the glory acts, but the way only Moses knew. Why he went to God and said, every time you say, God, what is this? Why is this happening? He never talked to Heron, nor her, nor anybody. He went directly to God. He didn't, that is not called sip, it's not called murmuring. He took it to God and said, God, I don't understand this. What's going on here? I mean, I'm just upset myself. Tell me what's happening. And God spoke to him. 
stretch out the rod and I will bring salvation. This is very powerful because when you go to Psalm, uh, when you go to Exodus to the next verse, verse 20, 21, you're going to find things get worse. And by the time you come to this, you're going to find what a tragedy. What a terrible tragedy. We'll just close with Psalm 106. And listen to what it says in verse 15. Uh, let's just read verse 15, 14 and 15. We'll close with this. Psalm 106, verse 15, 14 and 15. But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Verse 15. And he gave them the request. Excuse me. He gave them the request. But send leanness to their soul. What request? They just wanted to be spoiled brats. But leanness to their soul, to the point their soul did not decide. They were the people who saw the greatest miracles. They had seen miracles more than you and I did. And look at that. It did not help them. Verse 24 and verse 25, look what it says here. In Psalm 106 and verse 24 and verse 25, it goes on to say, I don't know if that is, but it doesn't matter. Yet they despise the pleasant land. They believe not his word, verse 25, but murmured in their tents and hearkened unto the voice of the Lord. I'm going to just say this, and we'll do this next week. What is it about David? He went through the wilderness. He went through the, such a pain. I mean, it was a pain in the neck. With all the promise, like Jacob, Joseph had, being put into prison, here is David had three anointing. The first, when he was just a young lad. And the next moment, he's running from one corner to the other in the wilderness. Wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. Training in reigning. That was what it was. But let me just say a few words. And I'll begin next Wednesday, God willing, about David. What was David's reaction in the wilderness when everything was turned against him? At a time when even his own people were trying to stone him. What was the reaction when it comes to openly telling to people his experience? Psalm 63 written in that very difficult time, even before he was a king. Let's just read this. If you would stand with me, let's read this together. A psalm of David in the wilderness. How do you think he would react? Let's read. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsted for you. My flesh longed for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see your power your glory so I have seen thee in the sanctuary verse 4 because thy loving kindness is better than life my lips shall praise thee verse 4 goes on to say thus will I bless thee while I live I will lift up my hands in thy name I was lonely I was in a desert where no water is but not gossip Praise to God. Did he take his complaint? He took it to God. You can read that. Did he speak ill about God? Not a single soul. In fact, his wife said, what's wrong with you? Like Job's wife, curse God and die. 
not this man. The best of this man's praises comes from the worst of time. Let's stand to worship the Lord.